Welcome back to Ornate Stairwells, a movie podcast. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Eve. And we have a guest. Yeah, hi. I, <laughs> I never I, know. Some people are sorry, like, I no. gotta say your name first before you can talk. And now you're just sitting here like, let's I talk, Molly. You. And I was like, uh, yeah, it's me. I'm j- I, And with me today is Molly. Hi. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say hey. Hey, hi. hi. There you go. <laughs> Thank so you. Say the line, have, Bart. How does it feel to finally have your girlfriend on the podcast? Uh, I love it. It's great. Huge dub. <laughs> Unlimited. Um, we watched a bunch of fucking shit. So let's let's get rolling on this. Yeah. Uh, I hear you watched a bunch of Ghibli movies, so I'm just gonna put on my big noise canceling headphones and. Uh... Yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a ton to say. Um, so my toddler got really into Spider Man, but there's like only one Spider Man that's like age appropriate for them to watch right now. Well, okay. Which there are I, many, but you're not going to show your child '80s Spider-Man cartoons that are also no. Meant but for that's also that's not meant for three-year-olds. Oh, is it not? No, that's okay. like a higher age range. So specifically, like the the one that exists, there's like a season of it or something, and it's it's Spidey and his amazing friends. So it's like Spider-Man, Gwen, and Miles. It's mm-hmm. Peter Parker, Gwen, and Miles. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's mostly about how to be a good friend. It's funny when, like, uh, Sandman will show up and is just acting like a petulant toddler, but part of the Sandman (laughs) design is having stubble, and so it's just a middle-aged man who's throwing a tantrum about how other people are allowed to use the beach. (laughs) That's messed up. Yeah. How can you do that? Uh, But anyway... My toddler's really into Spider-Man right now, but that's the only one that we can watch. And so I've seen the that one season of TV like 20 times now. <laughs> and so we're just trying to get them to watch anything else. And we succeeded with some with some uh, Ghibli stuff. So uh, my, my Neighbor Totoro and Ponyo, huge hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, during both of them, my toddler kept being like, this is Neil. I've never seen this before. <laughs> um, and then Kiki's Delivery Service, I think, was... I mean, it was still, like, age-appropriate in terms of content, but I think it's just a little bit above them in terms of, like, the appeal. Yeah. Whereas, like, especially Ponyo, they just fucking loved Ponyo because there's just, like, colors and fish and stuff constantly. Yeah. And it's, yeah. like, very obvious of, like, the fish girl is sad. Yes. Gr- and I can just identify fish girl is sad. Kids love Finding Nemo. Yeah, that's true. Ponyo kicks the shit out of Finding Nemo. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I don't really remember the stairs in any of these. I 
the thing that's nice about Kiki's delivery service is that it is like basically just Stockholm, Sweden, which, uh, I took a vacation there once and there's stairs everywhere. You're right. You're just walking in the street and you're like, I have to walk up like three flights of stairs just to continue down the street. So <laughs> there's a lot of cool stairs in that movie, but I don't like remember any specifically. You're right. Uh, cause for some of these, I was also like trying to work. Right. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, I think of these movies, Kiki's Delivery Service is the worst one, but also it's the one that I like the most, because anytime I see a product with the Gigi on it, I want to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Which guy is this? Which guy is this? The Gigi, cat. the cat. The cat. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah sure. the cute little black cat. Yeah. Uh, and all, all of this was obviously dubbed because we were showing it to our toddler, so it was Phil Hartman. Just fantastic. You didn't want hey. you didn't want the toddler to try and read subtitles. <laughs> no. Was that not going to fly? Uh, there is a part where I had to read the subtitles in Ponyo because uh, the mo- they're like communicating with the flashing lights with the boat, the dad on the boat, and then the mom keeps doing bug off, bug off, bug off. <laughs> so. I forgot about that. That's um, cute. Yeah. Um. Similarly, I watched Over the Garden Wall, which is Cartoon Network trying to make a Ghibli movie. Um, conveniently, Over the Garden Wall kicks the shit out of most Ghibli movies. <laughs> I love that shit. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a ton to say about Over the Garden Wall. Um, I watch it like every year around this time because, um, it's a classic already, you know, for me anyway. Um, it's very funny because, um, I think it is very common um, among people I hang out with, um, or used to hang out with. I don't hang out with a ton of people who watch Western animation like this anymore, but, like, I used to know a great number of people who were like, oh, did you know if you actually, like, read between the lines, over the garden wall is, like, secretly fucked up and dark, and it's like, I I just think it's a nice little children's television program. I just think it's a nice little, (laughs) I think it's a nice little movie you can watch on Halloween that's also a TV show. Over the, (laughs) over the garden wall, some might call a 10 part film. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, uh. The look Nora is giving you right now as you say that was. (laughs) The disgust on her face. Nora, you also watched Over the Garden Wall this week. Any input? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> You're not gonna join me in my in my yearly rewatch. Nah. <laughs> I have, I already have a podcast about this. <laughs> you do. You can find it on uh, audioentropy.com. Yeah, we're on Toy Reprise. Um, I was gonna say one thing about this. Oh, just the stairs. Um. Not a surprised, never watched over the garden wall before with an eye toward the stairs. So I was surprised to see that there weren't really any good stairs. However, my favorite episode did have stairs and a pretty good set of them. So I was pretty happy with that. That's the um, anti-whispers episode with uh, Tim Curry and that girl who turns up into a fucked up evil monster. Yeah. I mean, if you had stairs, it'd be really easy to get over the garden wall. We kind of defeat the purpose of having a wall. It's true. Use a ladder? I don't even know. Anyway, Mobile Suit Gundam. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the main reason why I haven't watched a lot of movies. Well, one, my toddler was sick and at home, and that's why I was entertaining them with Ghibli movies. Uh, but also because I just watched basically the entirety of Mobile Suit Gundam and then 12 episodes of Zeta Gundam. Mm-hmm. Um, 
nobody told me that the new type shit whips so much ass like aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone talks about how the show like still looks pretty good, even though you can tell that it's like lower budget, and it does. Like mm-hmm. you know, there's still some some nice drawings in there. They're like. They're working with what they have at the time. Like, production's just at a different level. Everything is hand-drawn at this point. Right. Um, and, like, having seen some Zeta Gundam, like, things are going to get more detailed and quote-unquote, like, better in that sense. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, like, always going to be backgrounds. Right. All yeah. the time. Whereas the original Mobile Suit Gundam almost functions like manga to me, where sometimes there's a frame that's basically just giving you someone's face. Right. There's not, like, background or anything. Um, And early on, you'll get it where, obviously, they're not going to, like, paint white when they already have white in the background, so the, like, highlights on the face they won't paint. Mm -hmm. But then later, they'll decide that they're going to make everything, like, the whole background red or something because an intense moment is happening. And so you just get this weird effect where all of the highlights have been replaced by red. Right. And then this turns into... We're basically doing that, but with, like, animations of waves crashing as we talk about, like, how this character's dying or whatever. And that shit is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I kind of heard that, like, there was a little bit of 2001 A Space Odyssey in it. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is, but that's not even the most incredible part. The most incredible part is just as it gets weirder and weirder and more abstract. Yeah, when the rubber hits road on that show, it really (laughs) fucking goes. Yeah. And it's this thing of, like... Like, I was trying to think about it because, you know, right now we're doing episodes for Ghost Divers about Paranoia Agent. Um, Like, Kon Satoshi is a person who's going to express, like, weird unreality by working within the fact that anime at this point is, like, trying to achieve some sense of reality. Uh, And so all of it is like, okay, well, since I'm doing animation where I'm portraying, like, real events, I can then begin to mess with it in, like, dreamlike ways that are more similar to, like, David Lynch shit. Mm -hmm. But this, because the production is, like, so low quality, there's so much room. Like, the thing itself is already not really trying to, like, approximate reality in any way. Right. And so there's already so much abstract room in there for them to just do completely wild shit. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just watching Zeta Gundam, and I, like, know that this is going to be lost. Yeah. Like, new type shit is never going to look like this again. Yeah, I think... Not um, quite, but... There's a lot of really cool stuff in Zeta Gundam animation-wise, but it never... There's not as many just, like, images that, like, live in my heart the way that, like, stuff from the last couple episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam do. You know? Yeah. Um... And the things that the things that I do really remember powerfully from Zeta and Double Zeta are like more rooted in like the real world, quote unquote, the real world of the fiction, you know, yeah. not the abstract world of the new type, new type stuff. Um, um, anyway, while doing this, I've also been listening through GGP, mm-hmm. uh, Great Gundam Project. Uh, it's funny how much they hate Shar during the like first show. Because I just know they're going to do a 180 on that. Yeah. Um, That's my fucking guy right there. Yeah. But I, I already fucking... I mean, I like... And maybe going in with the knowledge that a lot of people like him. But right, you have the benefit. they're doing that too. Yeah. They're going in knowing that people are like Shar defenders. Yeah. But they don't know why. You kind of know why. 
I still don't fully know why, but also I watched that first one and I'm like, he is trying to kill all the Nazis, yeah. like all the fascists in the government. He's doing it personally. Yeah. <laughs> He's taking offense to the whole situation. Yeah. He headshots a woman who just headshot her like dad or whatever. And then the Monday Night Football music starts playing. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, also... At once I was expecting there to be more Amuro Shar gay content, because they know that's also a thing. But there's also the incredibly gay moment at the end where they're like embrace in space. Where they're and sword fighting. I so I watched through all of Mobile Suit Gundam, knowing people shipped Shar and Amuro and being like, I guess I see it. And then you get to that last episode and you're like, Oh, oh, I understand now. Yeah, they em- they embrace and like put their heads together almost as if they're kissing or like putting their foreheads together. I really want um and I don't know where I would get this, but I really want like Char's helmet cracked as a tattoo. Um yeah. I just think it would be yeah. fucking sick. It would be sick. <clears throat> anyway, Char's great. I fucking love him. I, lo- I love that little blonde bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Amro's okay. I like how much Camille sucks in a way that just totally makes sense for a teen who's being asked to pilot a like death machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. He'll yeah. like it. Yeah, and then like everybody is dealing with him being a little shit by like slapping him and being like, "Just get back in the robot." <laughs> it's like, yeah, I would probably be a fucking asshole too. <laughs> yeah, <you> kidding me? <laughs> uh, yeah, Camille's great. Shit about this. I love Camille. So. I stand Camille. Yeah, yeah. Big Camille heads. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, the, the funny phrase, big Camille hats. I'm just imagining Camille be done with a massive head. Um, Camille be done, Funko Pop. <laughs> yeah. But fucking incredible aesthetics. We lost something when like animation tried to approximate reality more. You know that all our friends are going to tell you to watch Edigon right now, right? Yeah. Because I know, I know this is like a thing that people lose their shit over with Edeon. I'm also gonna really like Edeon because Edeon. Well, what is it? Is it Edeon or Edeon? It, it's. I think it's Edeon, or I. I think you're saying it fine. In the op, he says Edeon. <laughs> okay, yeah, Edeon. But anyway, because um, I already know a bunch of those characters because. Micro Commando Diatribe 5 steals them. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to like pop when I see that redhead bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I've got great news about the first episode of Idiot. I'll say that's me with every TV show, though. <laughs> we should get Molly to watch Micro Commando Diatron 5. Oh, the, the redhead in it is fantastic. AKA She's such is. a bitch. Oh, she is. I love that's her. That's all I need. Um, speaking of such a bitch... <laughs> I watched. Oh, I don't remember stairs. Yeah. Anyway, it's in space. You don't need yeah. stairs. You don't need stairs in space. They got no gravity. They yeah. they hang on to those little doohickeys the, and they go up the hallway. It's so sick every time they hang on to the little doohickeys. It's my favorite. <laughs> well, they shit. got the little wall handles. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, okay. speaking of that bitch, uh, I watched Audition. That movie rocks, and yeah. not for the reasons that anyone tells you it rocks. Um. Uh. So I was only familiar with Audition by reputation of like, oh man, it's the most sicko, fucked up shit in the world. Like, oh man, it's like the scariest shit ever. It's the grossest shit ever. Blah, 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 blah. One, Dead or Alive is way grosser. 
Yeah. <laughs> that lady drowns in a pool, in a kiddie pool of feces in Dead or Alive. Ew. What <laughs> the fuck? Audition got nothing on Dead or Alive. That movie's great. That movie's great. <laughs> Um, Not for that scene, but that movie's great. Yeah, that scene is actually kind of a low point in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, that ending, though. Yeah, so, so there, there is some really, like, dark, grotesque stuff toward the end of Audition, but I mostly was really taken with it um, as this, like... I think Mike is just, like, really fucking good at, like, playing around with genre stuff, um, and... and playing around with audience expectations and, um, like, knowing why you came here, I guess. Because yeah. um, that movie, much like Dead or Alive, or... or there's, a, there's a kinship with Dead or, the Dead or Alive series. The ways in which that movie, like, knows you're here because you heard it's a sick fucking movie. You, it, they, Mika knows that this movie is going to be advertised as gross. And so he, like, fakes you out with, like, an hour where it's kind of, like, almost a romantic comedy a little bit. Like, a little bit romantic comedy and a little bit reflection on, like, the tropes of romantic comedy being sexist. But, like, not like, ooh, we're really going to seriously consider it. It's just, like, here's a guy who's awful. And people in his life are going to say, hey, I think you're being a little shitty right now. And he's going to be like, I'm going to just... Go on ahead and do the thing I'm doing. Um, And then just at the edges, you'll see like, oh, I think that girl he's going after is a little fucked up. I I think maybe she's going to murder him at the end of this movie. Yeah. Um, And then once once the Band-Aid gets ripped off, like once the movie starts going to to scary town, like it really goes there. You know, there's little tongues waggling around on the floor. There's guys eating vomit. There's eye stuff. Yeah. Um, but even even in the grotesque stuff, like, it still finds a lot of room for um, humor. Like, there's a really famous scene, spoilers for Audition, I guess, whatever. Um, uh, it's basically a rom-com where at the end the woman murders the guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, tortures him saw style or whatever. Yeah, you know, exactly. style. So she cuts off his foot, and it's really horrible because... He's he's doing the thing where he's not showing you the foot getting cut off, so you just hear the sounds, which is way worse. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she picks up the the severed foot and she tosses it like a football, and it like <laughs> <laughs> and it like clanks against this glass screen door at his house. It's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mickey is really good at like interspersing comedy throughout really yes. dark stuff. Yes. And I also just thought the ways in which like. Mike has such a, and we talked about this in the Dead or Alive episode. Mike is so good at having a handle on like reality in cinema and the ways in which like two wildly conflicting realities like bump up against each other in in the end of audition because the the, the guy is drugged and so he's having these dreams and but then. Maybe the dreams are what's actually happening, or maybe, like, this other thing. It, it, it is unclear, like, which reality is, like, real. Mm-hmm. And that is all established through, like, montage and, like, cinematic language that I just find really compelling and, like, 
kind of hard to get into unless we both watched it together. It could really get into the nitty gritty of it. Maybe we'll do that one of these days. I don't know. If we were going to do another David Lynch project, I think Mike might be on the list for like... There's so many fucking movies, but it'd be yeah, fun. Yeah. I also had this thought with... Uh, also, some of them would be hard to find. But like, yeah. I, I had the same thought with Kurosawa Kiyoshi, but it's same thing. It would just be kind of hard to track down a number of things. We should watch Gozu at some point. I gotta watch Katakuri's is the big thing. I'm yeah. gonna try and... Maybe not before the next stairwells, but before the end of the year, I'm gonna watch Katakuri's. Do you know anything about Gozu? No. So it's kind of like a Yakuza movie, but like in a weird horror space that Mike plays in. Wait, is this Graveyard of Mm-mm. Honor? Okay. Mm-mm. Gozu. Um, and it ends with... So throughout it, there's the whole homoerotic tension that exists in Yakuza movies between the, like, Anaki. Naturally. Uh, it culminates with the, the, one of them dies or dies, but then is like reborn in the body of a woman and then they have sex and then he comes out of her body. The, the, okay. Yeah. Okay. So they just right. fully culminate in the homoeroticism of All right. the Akiza movies. All right. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta watch that shit. <laughs> it's a good fucking movie. Anyway. Um... Audition, I'm going to give it an A for stairs. I gave it a B at first in my head because I'm like, well, it's just kind of like suburban home stairs. Oh, there's also a really interesting thing where like the 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 main guy lives in like the most like Midwestern suburb house. It's like weird because like, like I've seen a bunch of Mike movies. Other people don't live in houses like this, in Mike movies, you know, or in any, like, Japanese movies coming out in 1999. So it feels like there's a deliberate statement about this asshole, like, living in what looks like an American house from a TV show. I don't know what that statement might be, but it feels purposeful. Yeah. Um, and so I gave it a B because I was like, ah, oh, it's just kind of, like, nice-looking suburban home stairs. And then I remembered that at one point... um, the the uh the one lady gets thrown off the stairs by the sun and immediately dies and I'm like okay we'll bump that up to an A because that's pretty sick. <laughs> um, similar note. After yeah. uh you and I were hanging out for Halloween and we watched Pulse because we wanted to watch a scary movie. Man, that movie was fucking scary. <laughs> yeah. Um. That movie understands that, one, it's really scary when a fucked up guy looks at you, but also it's really scary when a fucked up guy looks directly away from you at a wall. Yeah. That's yeah. worse. That's way worse. Yeah. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> that's so much worse. Molly, one of the scariest scenes in the movie is like, so the the there's the main guy and he's at the library trying to learn about ghosts. And okay. he, he thinks he sees a ghost staring at him. From behind one of the bookshelves. And as he's like, he's talking to somebody else about the ghost he sees, and they're looking at it. Meanwhile, all this is happening, and there's clearly another ghost just staring at the wall behind them that they don't notice. It's so fucked up. That's fucked up. <laughs> and they never notice it. The ghost never turns around. Nothing ever happens. There's just a fucking person, like, just right up against the wall. Yeah. It's something important. Yeah. I <laughs> see something I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Um, um, he's like, this thing isn't textured. It's weird. Yeah. 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 Um, Pulse, if, if people don't know, another, um, if you might remember, um, another episode. Two, 
References to two episodes we did with M, I just realized. Anyway, yeah. um, same director as Cure. I, I, his other most famous movie besides Cure. Um, similar. Yeah, I think so. Came out at a similar time frame. I want to say Cure is like 97 and yeah. Pulse is 2001. I could be slightly off with Cure. I've also talked about a few other, like I talked about, um, what is it? Uh, Path of the Serpent and then the other one. Yeah. That was related to it. Something about Spider or whatever. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You watched yeah. two of those. They were yeah. kind of similar. Yeah, they were like made in the same year and they were like part of a, a project that he did. Right. Basically where he was filming something else and then Took like a break. made both of them in like a couple weeks. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Pulse. Yeah. Uh, nominally, um, like many like Japanese horror movies around this time, you know, trading in the same... Sp- like space as um ring or um one missed call uh, a movie yeah. i've not seen but i have gathered from on the, the grudge yeah yeah sort of nominally about like oh like ring is like oh what if vhs tapes were like oh, fucked yeah. up and evil Gion doesn't do the technology part yeah that's no. what i was that's yeah the, you're the, getting to the other the the technology part so ring is what if vhs tapes are fucked up and evil and and pulse is what if computers are fucked up and evil? But, like, I almost think that's beside the point, because I think the thing that both Ring and Pulse are about is, like, man, ghosts are scary. And, like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who might argue? <laughs> They're ghost stories. This is how it's like Joan, because Joan's just like, ghosts are fucking scary. Yeah. <laughs> because, like... And I think maybe if I wanted to read more deeply into it, it's like transposing like myths about ghosts into the modern day. Um, and, and oh, we think we've moved past this sort of thing as a society, but we haven't. I, I think I could read that into it. I think Pulse is just a fucking scary movie about ghosts. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I don't mean, know that there's much to it in the, the way that I think there's a lot to cure. The, like quote-unquote can i mean these are people trying to figure out what's going on so whatever the yeah. quote-unquote canon explanation of what's happening in pulse is that like people keep dying and at a certain point they over like the afterlife is full and it's just overflowing and the place that it's overflowing to is like computers but and also the guy like, in the movie who explains that is textually a fucking moron yeah <laughs> and, then, and then it's also pouring out into like because then like basically people are just turning into ghosts yeah and stuff well, that's yeah. pretty much what happens yeah, yeah. Um. but they they will like go and face the wall and then turn into a dark spot on the wall yeah i looked at my phone to look up images from this movie and now fuck that yeah, yeah no, 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 I'm good. Yeah, no, 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 it's it's fucking uh, scary. <laughs> also, I turned off all the lights in our like in my house when we were watching this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, we were trying to watch it on um your TV, but we were having trouble with it, and so we were, we ended Learning up. It's been shit all week. We ended up watching it on my tablet, which somehow I think was like scarier because it was like right up next to us as opposed to like, you know, mm-hmm. the, the little remove of like, oh, it's over there. And there was less glow. Yeah. Than like a big TV. Yeah. Yeah. That movie was fucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's I'm a good to, fucking movie, though. I'm trying to think of other stuff I have to say about it. The, it's, the Hollywood remake sucks. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, it, I. This is like one of those ones, um, like uh, Haosu, where people sometimes insist on saying um, 
like the Japanese name, Kaido. Um, this one I understand a little more than Haosu, even though I do say Haosu and not Kaido, because apparently there's like another Iranian yeah, film from 2001 yeah. called Pulse, so you can't even say mm-hmm. Pulse parentheses 2001. <laughs> yeah, you have to be like Pulse parentheses 2001 Japanese film. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know what I have a ton to say. I feel like if we did an episode about Pulse, we'd have more to say. But yeah. mostly my thought is, oh, what a, that's a really good movie. The big thing People that, should watch it. Because I watched this really early on in me becoming a, like, V-Cinema sicko kind of person. Right. Um, and so now I've just seen a bunch. And I really appreciated that, like, he's still kind of operating in this mode. Like, uh, he's a guy who makes V-Cinema. But he clearly has a budget on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some stuff where, like, CG stuff is a little fake, but also in a way where, in a way that I think Lynch knows, yes. too, of, like, I need to get the part that's unsettling, and it's fine if the effect seems kind of fake, because that's actually sometimes going to make it more unsettling yeah. than if I'm, like, really trying to create a real image. But also, like, the-, the number of city streets in, like, Tokyo or whatever that he manages to get empty... Yeah. He had, like, money for this. Yeah. <laughs> he, had, like, a, he had, like, crews and stuff. How do you get How do you get an empty city street in Tokyo? In the way that, like, Path of the Serpent or whatever, he did not have money on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it but, is just surprisingly unsettling, too, to just see Tokyo so empty. Yeah. Yeah, it's fu- It's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> What did we think of the stairs in this? I'm, I'm struggling. The thing I remember is more of a ramp than a set of stairs. Yeah. So I'm trying to call to my mind. I know we saw some. Oh, auditions get gets an S for stairs. Actually, I just remembered. And I can explain that for if you want. But is there that? Is there one that goes down and then it gets all weird? I yeah. vaguely remember that. Yeah. It's been so forever since I've seen that. So he's investigating the chick he's dating, um, and he's going to this bar where there was a murder that she definitely did um and like he goes to the bottom he's like there's these eerie stairs and he gets to the bottom of the stairs and the the bar is closed and then a guy just kind of appears behind him and he's like hey why is this bar closed and he's like well didn't you hear there was a murder there um and behind the guy there is an exit sign pointing at like a wall and and then like the guy is like basically telling the ghost story um, of the murder, and at the at the end of the story he's like, and whoever the murderer was just left the victim's tongue and nothing else. And then the the main guy like looks at the bar and he sees the tongue flapping on the floor. <laughs> it's fucked. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> um, pulse. Stairs. I remember because they're like stairs when they go to that like weird warehouse thing towards the end of the movie to try and get gas. Mm-hmm. Um, that that cap rolls and that motherfucker goes into that red taped room. Nothing, you know what's up. Just leave the cap. Just leave. Just you don't leave. need the cap. You don't need it. No, no. You don't need the cap to put the gas into the car so you can drive some more. No. He goes into the room though. Fucking idiot. <laughs> Anyway, there's some there's some like stairs in there, but you don't really see them very well. Yeah, but I remember there being a few other ones. Oh, the big ones are the ones that are going up to the the so like the first big time that you see like someone basically turn into a ghost. Oh right, because there's in the, 
Yeah, the, like apartment, and you get like the the bizarre, like very obviously rear projected bus shot, and then yes. you get the bus pulling away, yes. and then you get them walking up the like huge like fire escape style stairs to get yes. to the apartment. You want to say an A for these? Yeah, yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Because there's also there's one other set of stairs that both these sets of stairs end up repeating, and I think Cure does a similar thing where it'll like kind of repeat images that kind of create this like motif it's kind of interesting um molly yeah i feel like we have not talked to you very much no so far yeah i'm out of the podcast for a little <laughs> yeah i didn't yeah. watch any of these yeah we got all nia you go over there <laughs> you and i watched a nightmare on elm street what did you think of it uh that movie fucks that movie fucks yeah that movie <laughs> fucking bangs dude uh i'm glad that we're out of the 80s and kids can have sex again yeah yeah, it seems like it's a really- legal now. <laughs> um, yeah, I've seen a bunch of the classic '80s slashers, and I think because I don't like Friday the Thirteenth at all, I just assumed that this movie wouldn't be very good. This movie bangs. Yeah, uh, I don't. People may know I don't watch a ton of movies. Uh-huh. That's changing a little bit, but not yeah. that much. Uh, I especially don't fucking watch scary movies because uh-huh. I get I get scared very easily. I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, but this ended up not being that scary. I wouldn't have picked it. You just put it on without saying a word, <laughs> and then it was just on the screen, and I was like, "Well, I guess I'm in this now." <laughs> but starting off with um with Freddy making the fucking gloves, so cool. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, especially because he's making the glove, and it's like this. The 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 screen is that real tiny little square. It's like it's like a real. Like, it was, it's not even a full 4-3. It's, like, a tiny little square. And yeah. he finishes making the glove, and then he, like, tears the screen open, and it becomes the full 16-9, like, yeah. you know. Oh, it's so cool. It's great. Um, <laughs> some of uh, some of Nora's friends... Nora was hanging out with some of her friends on Discord while we watched the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and they were appalled by how much we were laughing at Yeah, movie, they were really I, upset with us. <laughs> but I think it's pretty funny. It's a pretty funny movie. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Nora's gonna, friends yeah. to put you on blast, but they're not gonna listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, Freddie is gonna get you. That's what I know. Number one, number one, Freddie going. The get only you. the number two, Claudio Sanchez wrote a song where Freddy Krueger is actually in love with Nancy and just wants to be her boyfriend. Is that? Are you? I'm not fucking with you. Oh my god. Yeah, that's the number two thing I know about this movie. <laughs> so I yeah. told you about this four days ago, and I guess you, you did. did not hear me. No, no, I heard you. I just didn't like. I think I was high when you told me. It's a good song, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's from his weird little electronic side project. Oh yeah, okay. You definitely did tell me. Yeah, okay. I think I played it, but I again, I don't think you are listening. <laughs> I, I was high. Was the issue? Um, um, uh, other Friday the Thirteenth shots. Oh, much like Audition, um, way more obvious than Audition. I thought this was really cool. The way it moves back and forth between dream and reality, and like it's kind of those lines get blurry. I think it does a really cool job of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it sells like the gimmick, it's especially the the big iconic shot where she like drifts off in the bathtub for a minute and the hand comes up. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's great. <laughs> uh, you knew that was gonna happen. I did not know that was gonna. Oh happen. Uh, yeah, you didn't know that was gonna happen, right? No, I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> 
scary, dude. What if that's, there was a guy in your bathtub? That is, that is, that is. Don't watch Juon. <laughs> that is the scariest part of the movie by far. Yeah, but even then, it's not even that scary. Like, it is scary when the hand comes up and then you're like, okay, we're doing the regular scene now. <laughs> I'm done waiting for something bad to happen. The bad thing is happening. But like, okay, the movie has to be funny because like, so the whole thing is that Nancy, um, she's trying to stay up as much as possible because if she falls asleep, Freddie's going to get her. Uh, and so toward the end, her mom is like tucking her into bed. She's like, Nancy, you're going to go to sleep now. Okay. It's all going to be okay. Just go to sleep. And, um, I need to like, Nancy is like set up a coffee machine in her bedroom and like her mom takes away the coffee. <laughs> Nancy's like, all right, mom, I'm going to go to sleep. And then mom leaves, takes out another coffee machine from <laughs> coffee under the machine bed. Under the bed. <laughs> I bet you didn't count on this. <laughs> My second. Where did she get the second coffee machine? That's what I'm wondering. Shoplifted it all the way from home from school today. <laughs> um. Yeah. The other part where she goes to the like the sleep clinic. Um. First of all. Uh, crazy what you could get in the 80s. Just the same day sleep testing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, sure. But, <laughs> but when She's she pulls the hat... insurance. Yeah. <laughs> when she pulls the hat out from under the <laughs> under the blanket, it's so sick. Oh my god, it's so cool. And then when the when the guy's in the bed, and he just gets sucked in the bed, useless-ass young Johnny Depp who can't do a fucking thing right to save his life, and Half- all his blood shoots out. Half of the problems in this movie are because young Johnny Depp just does not do the things that anybody asks him to do. That is correct. The very simple things of, like, set an alarm. Don't fall asleep. <laughs> um, if, if it was me, I just wouldn't go to bed. It's, it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, what what else? What else? Oh, also, the the... Johnny Depp gets sucked down into the bed. Also, the mom. The mom doesn't get sucked down into the bed. A portal into hell opens into the bed. And yeah. then she, like, And then she drifts. just kind of falls into yeah. it. Yeah. And, like, smoke's pouring out. Oh, it's so cool. Oh, the fucking, the fucking shot where Freddy, like, leans in from the, like, um... Like, the wall stretches because Freddy... Yeah! It's so cool! It's so cool. <laughs> There's they do a couple of those where he's like in the wall and the wall like stretches like it's like it's a material. Yeah, like it's latex. Yes, yeah, and you can see like the imprint of his face in it. Oh, it's so good. It's great. Yeah. Um, that's about all of my thoughts on um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, except yeah. for need to talk about the stairs. You you were you were going ape shit. I was losing it. So there's a part where she's in the dream. And Freddy's chasing her, and she's running up the stairs, and the stairs start, like, crumbling under her as they turn into pudding, basically, and she's caught in these goop stairs, and I was, oh my god, it was fucking... <laughs> it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's foul. <laughs> the worst yeah. stairs I've ever seen. Um, Way scarier than getting murdered is, what if you got a bunch of pudding in your <laughs> shoes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fucked up. It's fucked up. You gotta up. watch two now. That's what you Everybody said. That's what Emma said. Yeah. yeah. Joe said this. Um, I guess we could do that this week. We could try to knock that out this yeah. week. Because um, if I go home, I'm not doing it. <laughs> it's not <laughs> happening. Um, we also watched. Oh, you know what was fucked up? That mom yeah. just had the guy's claws in her fucking furnace or whatever. Yeah. Just, oh, yeah. We killed him. I kept this. Yeah. What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> you kept a 
trophy from your lynching? <laughs> what the fuck, mom? <laughs> What also, are you doing? Also, like, 30 people got together to kill Freddy. Yeah. But she's the one that... But she's she, the one who got to keep it. We all drew straws and, uh... <laughs> and I got to keep... Actually, your dad your dad got it, but... Uh, I won it in the divorce. I, in the divorce. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I recognized her dad's actor, and I can't remember who it was. Um, I liked him a lot, though. Um... Great divorced dad energy from that guy. He's like a famous actor, I think, but I can't. He's a famous think. divorced dad, is what he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also watched. Um, so okay, so I put on Quite On, which is a a three hour um anthology film in four parts, and I was like, well, here's what's gonna happen: is I'm gonna watch as much of this as I can. And if I get sleepy, I'll just turn it off at the end of a chapter, and I'll finish it some other day. So I watched part one of Quite On, really good, not going to talk about it much more. Um, And then I'm like, okay, I'm pretty sleepy. I'm going to put on The Devil's Backbone, and I'm just going to fall asleep watching The Devil's Backbone, because A movie I've been informed Autumn constantly falls asleep to. Used to. Which is nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Which is not a movie to sleep to. I have seen all of our movies to sleep to. I have seen The Devil's Backbone probably a hundred times, fallen asleep for most of those. Um, it's just one of my favorites, and it's a comfort movie. Um, if, if <laughs> I guess people are not familiar with The Devil's Backbone, it is a 2001 Guillermo del Toro film um, about orphans in the Spanish Civil War who are haunted by a ghost, um, but more importantly, haunted by a Leo Johnson type guy. Yeah. Um, who just sucks and blows up the orphanage, um, and it all it all goes really badly for everybody. So I I put this on just thinking I'll fall asleep to it, and ended up watching the whole damn thing, which was only twenty minutes shorter than just finishing quite finishing on. quite on. Yeah, so you didn't really make a good decision there. I did not. It make was it. kind of a bold decision to go. Oh, I'm like one fourth of the way through this movie. You know what I'll do is I'll put on a different movie. <laughs> I thought I was gonna fall asleep. <laughs> in here, it is your sleeping movie. In here with me, while I'm asking yeah. you questions about what the fuck is happening. <laughs> so, like, so, who killed this kid? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I think it was that guy. And then later on, it's like, oh, he did, but we hadn't told you that yet. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess I shouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's also funny because it had been a couple years since I'd seen it. Um, and so there were a couple times you asked me questions and I just told you things wrong. Even though, like I say, seen the movie many, many, many times and yeah. I just told you things wrong because it's been a couple years. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, um, it, I was I was profoundly affected by, I have seen this movie like a hundred times on DVD or on streaming or something. Yeah. Um, and, like, streaming back in the day. Like, back when, like, Netflix was new, right? Mm. Uh, and so, watching it on my new Criterion Blu-ray, I was like, oh my god, this is a different movie. <laughs> you can you can see the, the blades of grass in the beautiful Spanish countryside. There's, like... <laughs> There's like a deliberate like contrast between the beauty of of the landscape and the like harsh reality of the orphanage. All of that's lost on me because every time I watch this movie before, it's just kind of one brown blob out there. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, just a different movie when you see it, <laughs> the way it's meant to be seen. 
Um, also because it's a Guillermo del Toro movie, that MF loves to talk. And so there's like a hard special features on that Blu-ray. And so I'm really excited to start digging through those at some point. You, when you put on the movie, I think it was going to play all the special features back to back. And it had like a listing. It was just going to play all of them. And it said the time remaining was like 12 hours. And I was like, what the fuck did you just put on the TV? (laughs) (laughs) All of it is 10 p.m. What are you doing? Because I think there was just a play all button you hit. (laughs) And I was like, I'm going to go to bed at some point. (laughs) I sleep out here. I also at one point put on the um, director's commentary track and got about a minute into it before realizing he's doing a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I can't watch this movie at the same time. He's he's literally he is. He says at the start, he's like, I'm not really going to talk about the movie. Uh, I did a commentary track for this on DVD, which is more of an actual commentary. This one, I'm just going to kind of podcast about like what I think of ghosts. Um, it's also really fun because Guillermo del Toro is a guy who 100% believes in ghosts down in his core. Um, and, um, I just appreciate that he brings that energy to all the movies he makes. Um, sure. But I think that's the only movie of his I've seen. I'm surprised you haven't seen Hellboy. Not that surprised. I have not seen Hellboy, no. Uh, uh, other one, Pacific Rim? I've kind of seen Pacific Rim. Okay, yeah, that tracks. I've kind of, I've kind of like seen like three. I'm sure somebody sat me down to watch it one time. Yeah, actually, I'm pretty sure they did. I still would say I've seen like three fourths of Pacific Rim. <laughs> I would not time... because I was doing anything more fun, but because I wasn't paying that much attention. One time I watched Pacific Rim every day for a week. Why? I don't remember. It's not that good. <laughs> the, I like it. The first time I saw it was at the IMAX that's down at Navy Pier, mm-hmm. uh, which you're like already going out and there's like Lake Michigan. Yeah. And then you just go and like see on the biggest fucking screen possible these giant robots like wading through water. Oh, see, that yeah. makes more sense to It was me. fucking yeah. great. Yeah. <clears throat> um, that's also where I saw um, Fast and the Furious 7. The, the one with the tribute to Paul Walker. That's seven. The, yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a long day. Yeah. Et cetera. Sorry, I burped there. Um, last but not least. You're not going to rate the stairs? Oh, A for stairs on Devil's Backbone. There's just a really good, there's a really good set of stairs that leads down into the basement where the kid <clears throat> died. Um, I maybe could have gone to A plus on this, but you just har- you see them for like one quick shot. The the stairs are implied to be there many times, but you really only see them the once. So, yeah, um, uh, I feel a little rude. That movie's fine. I don't know. It's it's like no, it's like a, a weird thing where it's like one of my absolute favorite movies ever, and like most people I know who have seen it are like, yeah, that movie's good. Yeah, that's um, it's did not make like a lot. I'm not gonna think about that movie like. This- in three weeks or something. This is also my general, like, Guillermo del Toro things. I think I think del Toro is my favorite or, like, top five, like, director. I just eat his shit up. And, like, most people I know are like, yeah, I like Guillermo del Toro movies. Like, yeah, he's fine. Yeah. I, I mostly know him from being in Death Stranding, but not really. I, I genuinely got upset about that because the fact he doesn't... I love his, like... He's got a great voice. Um, he's got a great voice. It's a very husky. It's very distinct. Great cadence. And yeah. then they like just get his face and put somebody else's voice on it. And I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing here? 
What the fuck? It only it would have been okay if they put Kiefer Sutherland's voiceover because then it would have been so over the top absurd. This <laughs> <laughs> uh, is just what we do when we can't get the guy back, or or when we don't want the guy back. <laughs> but but absent of the absolute absurd decision that they could have made, um, they just put some dude into it's just some guy. Sucks. I was I was thinking this week about playing Death Stranding because it's on Game Pass, and because you reminded me of that, now I am saved. Yeah, Not don't do, do it. That. Not going to do don't that. Don't do it. <laughs> um, or if you do, uh, see if you can find a way to skip every cutscene and turn off the dialogue. <laughs> the part where you walk around and drive is fucking great. Everything else going on. <laughs> Last but not least, you, me, and Nora watched The Invisible Man by James Whale, or directed by James Whale. It is a 1933 Universal Monster movie. We put this on because uh, Nora wanted to see a Universal Monster movie. I've seen Frankenstein, and I was like, well, I really like James Whale movies, so let's watch one of those. But Nora didn't want to see something I'd seen, so we just yeah. put on The Invisible Man. I didn't expect much. That movie is fucking that great. great. That movie's the cinema. Oh, you've seen it too? Cool, yeah. cool. That movie's I mean, fucking... not for a while, but... Well, yeah. Uh, that movie's fucking incredible. Yeah, it's <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, so for people who are not familiar, uh, The Invisible Man, um, obviously there's a guy who turns invisible, um, and, uh, he's like a, he's like a scientist, and he finds the secret to being invisible, but also, it drives him mad, and he, like, gets plans to conquer the world. That's not, like, the thing. Like, the thing is that it is a, it is, like... As much a comedy as a monster movie, um, yeah. As as like you get Claude Rains, who once I once I realized <clears throat> it was Claude Rains, and I remember like, oh, he does such a good job in like Casablanca of like being funny in like a serious scene. It totally makes sense that they would have put him in this role because like he's able to do the like. I will conquer the world, but like make it funny and also not ruin the scene, not make it like so over the top funny that like everything else in the movie doesn't work. He's like just he's just right. Oh, I love him so much in this movie. Um, There's some great effects in it, too. There's some really good effects. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Really good. I was I was like shocked at like how convincing they are for the times even of just like like. There's, like, the bit where he's invisible and he lights a cigarette, and it's just, like, I can't, I can't see the strings. Like, I can't see how they did it, you know? Like, I, yeah, it just works. Um, yeah. I think a lot of the stuff where he, even when he's just, like, unwrapping his face oh, is man. really impressive. When he's when he's unwrapping his face, and so it's, like... But you, you can, can see the back of the bandages on the back of his head. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah, you can see behind, but you can't see... Oh, it's good. Yeah, it's, it's really so good. good. Um... I'm trying to think of like what if a guy who was an asshole found a way to be invisible and decided oh i i haven't even unleashed my full power yet that's the I, other yeah. he's like what if i just go like derail a train it's like why he's like i don't know <laughs> they couldn't they can't see me do it why not it's like dude <laughs> that's the thing he's like what are the scientists is like oh he's been driven mad by the invisibility potion and the other scientist they think is like i think he was just a dick i think he was just kind of an asshole beforehand <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to his old scientist buddy he's like you're gonna help me take over the world and he's like uh yeah man for sure i'm not gonna call the cops yeah be right back i'm just calling it uh, no one. Calling no one. Yeah. Uh, later. <laughs> I'm locked in my room for no reason. <laughs> one of my favorite parts of the whole movie is, um, 
the police have to give a press conference about their plans to catch him. And they're like, we have one idea, but we can't tell you at this press conference. He could be in the room with us. So the next scene, um, it's like the police commissioner and um, his like top guys. And he's going to tell them a plan. But before he can tell them the plan, like a bunch of cops get like a big net and yeah, walk just walk through wall. the room. <laughs> because if he's in the room, they'll catch him in the net. <laughs> it's so goofy. <laughs> oh. Uh, and as always, most problems can be solved with one gun. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's like as soon as the 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 big climax is that they just like catch him in the snow and they just pop him twice. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Easy. <laughs> Situation um, resolved. I didn't even need to find a cure. <laughs> uh, I th- I thought for sure they were gonna like cure him and he was gonna go back to normal. Nope, just popped him. <laughs> yeah, I guess what he wanted was to be able to go back and forth whenever he felt like. I yeah. guess is the idea, right? So yeah, I don't yeah. know, man. It seems like you pretty much got it down. If you're already invisible, like, what's yeah. the issue? It's also funny because he's like, I'm gonna conquer the world with my powers, but like consistently throughout the movie, like gets himself into a jam because he's like still taking off his clothes and so they're like there's the shirt get the shirt before he can take it off <laughs> there's like a little bit where like the police are chasing him around a chair because it's just him and his shirt waving yeah. his alarms <laughs> stupid um stupid i do movie. love the police chief who if the invisible man had not come back to town just to get his books would not believe this guy existed yes almost got away with it also, the, the very first cop you see, who's just like, Oi, what's all this dead? <laughs> He's the dumbest, <laughs> dumbest motherfucker alive. Yeah. I can't arrest a bloody shirt. <laughs> uh, great movie. Great movie. Um, one thing I always think about with The Invisible Man is everyone's had an extended conversation where I was talking to someone about the Ralph Ellison novel, The Invisible Man. Are you familiar with this? Yes. No. And it took them way, way, way too fucking long to realize that it was not the, like, was it H.G. Wells or something mm. originally? Um, the Ralph Ellison one is, like, about a black man who's posing as a white man. Oh, okay. And, like, sure. Yeah. The issues that face, you know, black Men in America. Uh-huh. Uh, the H.G. Wells novel is about a guy who turns invisible. Yeah. <laughs> it's a guy who and goes sicko mode. Yeah. <laughs> guy who turns his cat invisible. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of the cinema, we, this is, uh, I didn't do my spiel that I've been doing lately. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're three episodes in now. Yeah. So this is a Twin Peaks Oh, podcast. so now you're quitting on the bit? No, no. Through two episodes. You guys are done with your bits? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just that, like, so normally at the start of the episode, I tell everybody, hey, for segment one, we're going to talk about all the other stuff we watched about. And for segment two, which is going to begin now, we're going to talk about Twin Peaks. Nia and I have finished all of Twin Peaks. And so um, <clears throat> uh, we're usually, we just 
spoil whatever the fuck we want. In episode one, we talked about the end of the return. And that's why I don't listen to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And usually what I say is you can go to audioentropy.com and listen to Totally Reprise, a podcast uh, that has always been cool, first of all. That's so true. (laughs) Second of all, uh, where Molly and uh, Luke and Ashley are going through Twin Peaks in a spoiler-free way. And so... Kind of. Mostly. (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Depends on what's on Twitter that week. (laughs) Once a week, you two reveal, like, oh, I knew about this plot twist that was coming. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think I have any left. I think I'm all out. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. The last one be... I mean, what was the last one I did that I knew about Evil Coop? That I knew about Evil Coop. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because there is one thing that I know Molly hasn't gotten to that I can't mention, but it's a small thing. It doesn't really matter. Mm Mm-hmm. Too bad. You're almost at the end now. I'm almost at the end. I only got four yeah. or more of these motherfuckers left. Uh, um, I watched 14, but we haven't done the podcast about it yet. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, obviously this week, we're not going to be spoiling the end of Twin Peaks. Also, I don't think it would have come up. Like, I can't imagine what I would have said about the yeah. end of the return that comes up here. But, you know, normally, we we are pretty loose with spoilers. This week, we'll maybe we'll talk about some future stuff. We'll, we'll talk about Leland, but... Other than that. Yeah. Um, we're not going to go. Uh, I, I guess, yeah, the spoiler zone is here, because I, I, I said we'll talk about Leland. We'll talk about Leland, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we could, we could technically talk up to where you are in the yeah. return. But... Yeah. I don't. I just can't imagine it's going to come up. <laughs> yeah. Sarah Palmer ate that guy. Sarah Palmer did eat that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Palmer. That's the big thing, is just That's in the, the... Of Sarah Palmer. That might come up. Maybe. Yeah, know. okay. Anyway, so we watched, came up now. <laughs> we watched episode episode two, aka season one, episode three, aka Zen or the art to catch a killer, the um, skill to catch a killer. Thank you very much. The skill to catch a killer. Thank you. Uh, written by uh, Frost and Lynch and directed by David Lynch. Um, I'll give like a quick little plot summary. The last two episodes, we just didn't summarize the plot in any meaningful way. This time, I am going to just like start with like maybe not a five sentence summary, but something approximating it. Um, so I'll just I'll just do the check in with the characters. Yeah, I was going to say you can just yeah. go around the around the town. Yeah. So Cooper, um, <clears throat> kind of at a dead end in the case, um, decides to do his Tibetan rock throwing thing. Um, which is, like, one of the things that the show is most famous for. And so, in this scene, um, the, the sheriff's department is out in the woods, and, uh, they're, basically, they're all, like, Cooper is throwing rocks at a glass bottle and saying names of people that have a connection to Laura Palmer, um, to, like, get a lead, basically. And the big thing is, Jacoby is probably involved and uh because he hits the bottle and then the bottle breaks when he mentions leo johnson and so leo johnson is definitely like they're gonna follow up on leo johnson especially because they don't even know what leo johnson's like connection to laura yeah. is yeah also we get stuff about one-eyed jacks yes. because we yeah cooper gets a little note that says we, jack with one eye on it yes yeah and we open the episode with well, oh, now not, hang on a minute. <laughs> but in this episode, Ben and Sherry are going to go to One Eye Jacks. Yes, we we to talk about what we actually open the episode on in a minute. That's not like pertinent to the plot summary. Are you fucking sure about that? 
the 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 pertinent to the plot thing is that we are introduced to Ben's brother Jerry, who's just back from France, um, and he's bummed out about um, more bummed out about the Norwegians leaving than yes. <laughs> than about uh, Laura Palmer dying. But they decide to cheer themselves up by going to One Eyed Jacks, and so we're introduced to. How did you skip over the sandwiches? It's not it, plot relevant. It's not plot. <laughs> You're a fool. You're a fool, you know that? You're not going to mention the sandwich? That's we'll, just like butter and brie we'll, on a baguette? We'll get back Three there. Three bees? <laughs> we'll get back there. Ben and Jerry um, go to One-Eyed Jack's. Uh, we're just kind of introduced to that. That's our only really scene with them this episode. Um, other stuff that's happening... Um, Pete gives uh, a key to Catherine's safe to Josie, and Josie is, like, reading the ledger and is scandalized by something. We'll find out what that something is later. Well, there are two ledgers. There's yeah, two, two ledgers. ledgers. Right. That's the big thing. Um, Audrey goes to church. Because <laughs> yeah. she's real beat up about Laura. And uh, she has a little heart-to-heart with Donna. And Donna is like, oh, maybe we're going to be friends now. And then Audrey just decides, I'm going to dance in the middle of the double R by just kind of swaying with my arms in the air. Uh, and Donna's like, maybe we'll get we're back not- to this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Donna is like, maybe I'm not going to be friends maybe with Audrey. Maybe we won't be friends. <laughs> yeah. I'm busy kissing James. Um, yeah. The, uh, we see more of James and Donna's date the night before Audrey goes to church, obviously. Um they uh, they just talk more about being in love, even though Laura's between them. You know. And then they make out a little. And they make out a little. Just a little. Just a little. Yeah. Tasteful. Uh, uh, we get uh, a little... Bobby and Mike go with the... Yes, yeah. yes. Mike and Bobby um, are going to pick up the drugs in the woods, and Leo Johnson and somebody else... Question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah, I think that's explained later, but I don't remember who I that do is. I do not remember who that yes. is. I don't know. I don't There's, think it matters at all. I've seen this, like, this is my fourth time through a bunch of these episodes. I'm still like, I don't remember where some of this shit goes. Yeah. I feel like it's he's not a, what I care about. I feel like he's a Renault, maybe? Maybe. Oh, he's probably, uh, it's probably Jacques Renault. Or, or maybe Jacoby. I don't think it's Jacoby. Why would Jacoby be at the no, cocaine not, thing? I don't think it's Jacoby. Yeah, no, you're right. It's not Jacoby. Is it whatever guy gets killed by... Yeah, it could be the other Renault brother. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, We'll get to it someday, and it won't matter then either. No. (laughs) Um, Leo, like, threatens Mike and Bobby, and they decide that they're... um, Like, Mike is like, I'm done with all this drug shit. Um, Bobby... um, Bobby is told by Leo, I found out. That my that Shelly's cheating on me, and I'm gonna kill whoever's doing it. And I'm pretty sure it's you, Bobby, but I don't know yet, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it yet. I'm and gauging by your reaction how mad at you I should be. <laughs> Bobby decides that the best course of action after being threatened with with you know to, with to be murder to be not just murder, but like Leo's got a shotgun. Leo's like gonna yeah. fuck up Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, the thing he decides to do is to go fuck Shelly real quick. Really yeah. quick. Um, and Shelly is like, hey, you shouldn't do this. Uh, and Bobby's like, nah, baby. If if he ever hurts you again, I'm going to kill him. No, you're not, you fucking pussy. Yeah. 
Um, tarantulas are going to kill him. Tarantulas are going to kill Allegedly. him. Allegedly. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Still got four st- episodes to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I only say allegedly because it's never on screen. Yeah. 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 It's allegedly because actually uh, the, the tarantulas are still on trial, and so we don't really want to get sued for libel. <laughs> allegedly because I don't believe anything Mark Frost says. <laughs> Um, because I think that's only in the book, in one of the like post-canon books, right? Yeah. So, any other plot stuff that I missed? Um, Ed, Ed and Nadine. Ed and Nadine. It is revealed that Na- Nadine has super strength. Um, despite being a devoted listener of Totally Reprise, I've already forgotten that she starts the series with. Yeah, she does. I, I, the thing is, I was just hoot- fucking buff. I was just hooting and hollering about it the whole time. I just... <laughs> She's just fucking buff. In my memory, it's always that she, like, no. becomes a teen. That's what everyone thinks. But right. she just becomes a teen and she stops trying to control her strength. It's, right. It's also because when she's in the coma, they're like, she's got, like, a million, like, milliliters of adrenaline in her body. And that's why she's so strong. Which I think is why people think it starts there. Oh. But no, she just does this shit in episode three. It's very funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and she's all mad at Ed for a minute, but Ed like tracks oil on her drape runners, and it's it's it helps her figure out the drape runners. So actually, everything's yeah, fine. They're silent. Um, we get an enormous scene. I just love I those love two. Them. I love them. They're good. I they're hope fantastic. they end up together. I've got bad news about the next twenty five years. <laughs> <laughs> the next twenty five fucking years. Uh, I love uh, this is a return thing. I love Nadine's little store called Run Silent Run Drapes. God, yeah. It's so funny. <laughs> what a queen. She found the one thing she wanted to do and she did it. Um, mm. Not plot stuff. Oh, no. Albert shows up. Let's Albert shows up. We don't get as much Albert as I would like. Yeah. Um, he is, although I think that still, with what we were talking about in the first episode, I think this still matches up of like, because Cooper is just so excited to see Albert and thinks that everyone is going to like Albert because they like him. Mm-hmm. Like Cooper has not understood that even though I think both Cooper and Albert have the same approach to this small town of like being weird and patronizing. It's just, just their the, like general tact, like the way that they are that yes. is like Cooper is going to be endearing to people and Albert is Im- immediately going to piss people off. Yes. Yeah. Um, he well, pisses he- off Lucy, which is like, that's the, that's the thing I forget is because I remember like, oh, I hate Albert, and then I come around on him. But I forget that it's, like, specifically that he's mean to Lucy that, like, just so powerfully turns me that's against the, him in this episode. That's the first yeah. thing he does, is he shows up and he's mean to Lucy. And that's why yeah. we all hated him at first. And then yeah. he shows up later and he's the best character on the show. Fuck you, Gene Kelly, stupid motherfucker. <laughs> stupid motherfucker. <laughs> he's a hatchet man on the fight against violence. He oh. is. He is. <laughs> He walks the path of Gandhi and King. <laughs> um, oh, we get, we get, so there's two other dance scenes. Mm. We get the one where Leland puts on the music and then is dancing around with the photo of Walt uh-huh. Palmer. Uh, Sarah comes in is like, what, what is going on in this house? Uh, breaks the photo and Leland's like smearing his blood on the photo. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to talk about that as vibe stuff. So that's still plot though. Yeah. And then. We get the third dancing thing, which is we get the right. dream sequence at the I fr- end. We I, go to the red room. For I one hundred percent forgot to mention the red room entirely. It's kind of a big deal. It's kind of yeah. a big deal. 
This was the... All that shit about the gum. Yeah. We get the backwards talking. We get some weird stuff that I think was from the international pilot, but I don't know because I still haven't seen it. Uh, it is, this, from what I understand. Watching this episode 100% confirms for me. The first time I watched the pilot of Twin Peaks, I watched the European pilot without knowing what it was. I'm 100% certain of that in my heart now. Because I know that the first time I watched Twin Peaks, I saw all this stuff a second time in episode three. And was like, why are we going all this again? Um, yeah. Just a weird thing that I have discovered. Is I that- forgot he talks about his death bag. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna catch you he's gonna death catch back. you um um yeah let's vibe stuff Let, okay let's talk let's talk a few vibes things and then we'll talk about the red room because red room is at the perfect intersection of plot and vibes yeah. um so sandwiches 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 baby this is the most important scene of all Twin Peaks yeah with your with your <laughs> You're stupid, not important to the plot. It's not! (laughs) He just got back from Paris. From Paris. He had the sandwich. He ate about four a day while he was there. Four a day? That's so much bread. (laughs) This this seems especially funny to me because... uh, so Emily took a trip to Paris with her friend once. I didn't go. And she came back being like, a baguette with butter and ham. <laughs> That's what the people of France are about. Yeah. Um, and so I totally believe that you would just like replace the ham with cheese, too. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, I, she like brought home French butter so that she could make it at home. Uh, okay. I know that th- I know this is the thing that everybody talks about in this scene, but we have to talk about it. Ben eats that sandwich <laughs> from the side. <laughs> Jerry does too at first. When he starts eating it normal, there's already bites on the side. <laughs> Who raised them? Who raised them? They're both Same sick. Mother. Yeah, they're both just, sickos. The, the the Twin Peaks prequel series. That's just about. <laughs> Ben and Jerry's kids learning. I think that's called the Wonder Years. <laughs> also, when when Jerry finds out about the Norwegian, he's like, "Oh, I'm depressed. I can't eat my sandwich." I was so heartbroken for him. <laughs> I'm depressed. He's like, "Wait, did you say Leland's daughter died?" <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> First of all, the deal didn't go through. But secondly, our lawyer's also, daughter is dead. What's the thing that Ben says as he's leaving to his own family? Oh, he says, always a pleasure. As if he was like getting up from dinner with like some business associates. Yeah, it's such a business yeah. dinner thing to say. It's so funny. <laughs> fucking shithead. In my, in my memory, this scene is way longer. Maybe it's just because we were taught... Like, the first time I watched this, I'm, like, watching it on my laptop on Netflix or whatever. This time I'm watching it and we're all chit-chatting during it. But in my memory, it is, like, it is, like, the the sweeping scene in the return levels of just staring at people awkwardly eat and not talk to each other. It is, in the actual episode, I feel like it is at most a minute, you yeah. know? There is, I mean, it feels long, especially at the start, because before Jerry shows up, there's like a full minute of everybody eating dinner in silence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because they hate each other. They hate each other. But then Jerry shows up. Ben and Jerry, they love each That's other. That's right, it's party time. <laughs> Ben's wife is 
She's like <laughs> distraught that Jerry is alive, basically. <laughs> She's like, you promised me this motherfucker was not coming back here. <laughs> you told me he was going to Paris forever. <laughs> she is so mad it's just seeing him. Again, like I said when we were watching the episode, if you marry Ben Horn, you gotta know you're getting Jerry. <laughs> you have to know that. That's, That's on deal. you. Yeah. It's- <laughs> yeah. This is the first time that I watched this series. This is the episode that fully endeared me to Twin Peaks. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, absolutely. Because the pilot's great, but like... It's a different thing. You watch the pilot and it's a different thing. And you're also like, I don't know how you make a TV show out of this. Yeah. This is the. And then you watch the second one and you're like, oh, is it just going to be this kind of like trying to solve a case kind of goofy? I don't know if this is going to work. And then you watch this one and you're like, oh, it's going to work. Yeah. It's going to work. Yeah. Like, Catherine, Josie, and Pete can all just, like, get a scene that is just fun and has nothing else to do, nothing to do with anything else that's going on, and it's just, like, fine. And, like, Ben and Jerry can get a scene that has nothing else to do with anything that's going on, and it's a hoot. It's great. I love yeah. it. I mean, the fish in the percolator is great, but, like, you're like, oh, there's sometimes going to be jokes while they're, like, solving this case or whatever. And then here is like, we're literally solving the case by doing Tibetan... A uh, rock throwing, or mm. throwing it in a bottle, Fuck and yeah. it's gonna like, you know, just go completely <laughs> off the rails. Yeah, it's just fucked. And I just watched that, and I was like, oh, okay, like literally, they're gonna make headway in the case by just doing dumbass shit. <laughs> That's the show. That's I the did. show. There, it's Boys Night plus Lucy. <laughs> yeah. Lucy's so lucky. <laughs> When Andy gets hit in the head with the fucking yeah. rock and he's like, it didn't hurt. I'm good. And, and Lucy's like, sweetie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would think, uh, if you didn't know about the season two plot, that they were already married, but they are not. You yeah. really would. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> what else? What else? I do. This is the thing, too, that, like, I kind of talked about with when they find Laura Palmer's body and they're all, like, standing there. But you get it, too, with the... And it's because they're all oriented towards... Like, there's an in-universe explanation for their, why they're all pointing at the camera. And it's because the camera's, like, the perspective of the bottle that they're all looking at. Mm-hmm. But just that far shot of, like, the, the chalkboard and everyone's just kind of looking at the camera and, like... Hawk's got the oven mitts holding the, holding the big bucket <laughs> the of bucket rocks. It's just such like there's there's just good like shots of people from afar in the series in a way that like all of them feel like weird photographs, and I just love it. Do you we, go ahead? We still haven't talked about the cowboy and the Frenchman on this, have we? No, I still haven't watched it. Okay, I'm too busy watching anime. Somewhere. I just. Michael Horse is like such a treasure, and I'm I'm just glad the the cowboy and the Frenchman exists. Even if it's like turbo racist toward Michael Horse specifically, I'm glad that that exists. If only to like get these two working together, so that Michael Horse can just carry this show. Because like he doesn't hardly get any lines in this episode, but he's still doing so much of just like when Cooper's like I'm gonna like. Cooper flips over the t- chalkboard and shows them the map of Tibet, and 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 Michael Horse just like leans forward in his chair. He's just perfect. He's yeah. so he's good. so good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's great. Um, I was gonna say, do you think there's so many rocks in the bucket? Because if that bottle didn't break, they would have just gone right back down the list. 
Is that the implication? Is that bucket is full? That bucket, yeah. They I don't had know. eight names, I and don't that bucket know. has at least a hundred rocks in it. There's also like twelve donuts per person on that table. Well, that's there. normal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, 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 that's an average yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> um. Other vibe stuff. Going back to the Leland and Sarah thing, I just refuse to believe that that David didn't know. There's no, yeah. there's no way you do the scene of Leland rubbing blood all over the Laura Palmer photo without knowing. I, I just, he has to know. I guess. I mean, I, I guess that's the that's the beauty of hindsight, right? I guess. Like so. that, yeah. everything looks obvious. I think it's very reasonable to think that he didn't know yet. Yeah. Or, or if he did, like he's not going out of his way for it. That's just a thing that could happen to a grieving person. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's I think true. I think that there's a lot of st- like I believe that he probably had ideas of who it could be. Mm-hmm. But like. I think there's also stuff that's being seeded here that also could be, would make sense for, like, Ben Horn or something. Yeah. I mean, it feels really obvious in this episode that it's supposed to be Leo Johnson, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's just the scariest man in town. Yes. Yeah. And the bottle breaks. The bottle breaks. Yeah. Maybe I'll tell you about Laura someday. Right. (laughs) Leo Johnson. Okay. So I, I'm constantly thinking about the scene in Empire Strikes Back when um, they all walk into the room Such and an Vader's there. <laughs> that is a great scene. <laughs> yeah. No, you... They walk into the room and Darth Vader is sitting there at the, the head of the table. Chilling. Like, waiting for them. Yeah. Leo Johnson gets the same scene in this where, like, Mike and Bobby go to the... Um, football and they cut it open and leo's already there and it's like how long have you been waiting there leo yeah. <laughs> how long have you been standing there planning your entrance well darth still... vader has just been sitting there because they saw the ship land and now yeah. it's time to go to the table yeah i still love the vader scene just because it's the most like oh anakin's still in there yeah because <laughs> anakin's the dude who's gonna sit he can't eat no, Vader can't eat no. any of the food at that table. Not at all. But he's still just going to sit there and wait for them to show up. Thought we were going to yeah. have a pleasant Fucking meal. Great. Yeah, <laughs> it was going to be a great time. <laughs> we have so much to catch up just, on. Just Ooh. sitting there staring at food he can't eat. And so Leo gets there early to do his dramatic entrance, and his he has to be planning this because he shines the light up on his face like he's telling a fucking ghost story around the campfire at the fucking Christian youth camp. And he's he's got his buddy and he's like, all right, you stand behind that tree and when they notice you, start moving back behind the tree more. If you had the opportunity to scare the fuck out of two shithead little 17-year-olds, would you or would you not? And you're doing a lot of cocaine. <laughs> if I could scare the bejesus out of Bobby, I would. Yes, yes, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's understandable. I'll wait as long as it takes. Oh, uh, never mind. It's like a, a return thought that ties into the last episode. I'll save it. You can't do that. Yeah. Um, I've forbidden you <laughs> from speaking. That's fine. Um, but yeah, I just anyway going back to the Leland scene. I just thought it was just so. I just find that scene, like, so haunting. You know, even before I knew, I just, I love that scene. And just Sarah screaming, like, what's going on in this house? Um, You think she would have moved out. You'd think she, in 25 years, you think at some point she would have moved out. She's like, well, mortgage is already paid. I moved in with a ghost. It's no big deal. (laughs) 
It's just me and Judy in here. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, the red room. Yeah. Yeah. Unless we have other stuff. <clears throat> um. So Cooper is sitting there in his old makeup. Very funny because you and I have been watching the return today, partially so that I don't yeah. I don't show up on reprise sometime soon and like spoil and ruin our lives. Yeah, yeah. So I don't accidentally say something from like episode seventeen by mistake or yeah. something. Um, you wouldn't say something from episode seventeen. You might from episode sixteen. Yeah, seventeen and eighteen are very distinct in my mind. the The rest of it all kind of blurs yeah. together. Anyway, anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been watching it, um, and why did I bring this up? Oh, because you and I have been talking about how hot Kyle MacLachlan has gotten in the 25 years between Twin Peaks and Twin Peaks. I think they should have just let him have his gray hair during the return. Oh, totally. Because, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. He's a smoke show. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it just makes the old man makeup in the dreams so much funnier, especially because there's no way, like... Never in their wildest dreams would they get to bring the show back 25 years later. Right, yeah. There's This <laughs> yeah. could never go badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they just, like, put Kyle McLaughlin in the ugliest old man makeup in human it's, history. It's such a, like, this is the man who made Eraserhead old man makeup, though. Yes, for real. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter that it doesn't look like... Even watching it at the time, this is not what this man is going to grow up to look like old. Right. The point is just to have weird, wrinkly shit on his face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're... It does look ridiculous now, though. It does. Just it does. Having the return. Yeah. Um, <laughs> having not seen it at the time, I was like, oh, that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. And then now I'm like, oh, that looks like shit. <laughs> and so we were introduced to the arm. Um... Uh, Mike, you don't know him as that yet, though. No, no, no. Um, he says that gum you like will come back in style. He's, he says the catchphrases. You know, he says let's rock. Yeah. Um, he says <laughs> he does not say. Does he? Does he? <laughs> no. He, doesn't say he says I am the arm and I sound like this. <laughs> um, and then the the thing is. <clears throat> The first time watching this, I remember being really taken with him and his weird little dance and his, um, like, he says, like, oh, that's my cousin and the place we came from. Like, he says all those cryptic things and I was so taken with him and trying to, like, un- solve the mystery of what the fuck he's talking about. Watching it this time, um, just could not take my eyes off Shirley. She's just... Yeah. Yeah. She's just the best actress in the fucking world. Yeah. Um... Also, she's beautiful in this scene. Yes. Yeah. Um, that dress is just amazing. God, my arms bend back is just so fucked when you know. God. Sometimes I feel like I know her, but my arms bend back. Also, just the way they reuse this scene in The Return. That, like, that's how she introduces herself to Cooper in The Return, too. Uh, it's just good. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um... Um, what else? What else? What else? Um, obviously, you start to get, like, things go a little haywire, and and Cooper's dream changes to Mike giving the fire walk with me poem, and then, um, you know, Frank Silva in that, like, weird factory just being like, where are you, Mike? I'm gonna catch you in my death bag. Yeah. <laughs> 
That um, that weird factory thing also being an extremely this is the man who made eraser head. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. He's probably just like, I know a place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found a dead cat there. We almost put it in the movie, but then we didn't. Reading that biography and just finding out the number of dead animals that have appeared in David Lynch films is a little upsetting. But not that cat. No, that dead cat was just there and just never didn't make it to the movie. Yeah. Um. Anything else about the red room? I don't. I don't know. It's just it's great vibes. Yeah. It's um, great vibes. It's very funny. It's the thing people talk about because it's not going to come up again for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about all the other like weird because I remember specifically the like the actual like velvet red room. Mm-hmm. And the like talking backwards and the dance and mm-hmm. all the stuff that happens in there, but I forgot about all the weird flashes to other stuff. Yeah, during that sequence. Yeah, um, I guess it's just funny because like the ways that um, um, this scene is so remembered, and this scene is like it, for my first time watching the movie, and for so many people or the series, um, uh, and for so many people, it's like. This is like the puzzle box that must be solved to unlock Twin Peaks. Um, when I think the episode is deliberately telling you this is just a dream Cooper's having, and like in the episode, it's established Cooper has weird dreams sometimes, and that gives him a lead. It's not like you know, oh, by solving the dream, you solve you know what it is. The dream just points you in a direction. No one in real life or in fiction has ever had a dream and thought, oh, that was normal. Right. Or like, oh, I shouldn't solve that. So, yeah, tracks. I guess that's true. Yeah. Because yeah. people people do love to be like, oh, in my dream, I, I did this. And so it must mean this. Blah, blah, but blah. without saying any more, but like, the, I think that this series is going to be critical of taking uh, Cooper's detective perspective on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, is it because he's an idiot? Yeah, it's because yeah, he's a fucking moron. For example, he, he wakes up from this dream and is like, what I'm going to do is call up my new buddy, Truman, who uh, we had a gay little moment earlier We have one station. gay little nose oh touch. Oh my god. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, meet me at, is it the double R? No, it's it at the, the Great Northern, the Great Northern, Northern breakfast. Northern. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at seven. I'm going to go back to bed and not write, write down a single thing about the dream I just had. Sorry I called you last night, man. Uh, I forgot what I talked about. (laughs) So, uh, if you could just forget anything I said, that would be great. (laughs) Fucking asshole. Did I mention who killed... No, don't worry. Don't worry worry about it. Fucking asshole. (laughs) Doesn't matter. Uh, I do love uh, Luke pointing out that he just never talks to parents. Yeah. He just never talks to Leland or uh, Sarah. Isn't in the first episode of the second where he like specifically mentions that he's going to give him a few days? Yeah, because he's a strong sender. Yeah. (laughs) Well, he says says he's going to give him a few days and I'm like, okay, sure. Like, and if I really stretch my imagination, like, um, it's like, well, he's going to give him a few days and this case is going to be wrapped up within like a week. But like... He never talks to them. He never talks to them until Leland's on trial, basically. Yeah. We, yeah. We, were, we were watching um, episode two of The Return, and um, 
uh, Laura does that. She says, sometimes I feel like I know her, but my arm's been back. And she does her big scream. She does her big scream. And I said to you, I was like, I think that's the first time in 25 years that Dale has thought, man, it must suck to be Laura Palmer. <laughs> I, think that's the, I think that's the first time that he's considered, like, the pain that she experienced in Probably. his life. You know? Yeah. Um, I think he's just a moron. <laughs> he is a moron. I mean, there is something about trying to solve murders where you try and distance yourself from it, you know? Well, but I mean... But also, you know, he's been there a minute. He's like, he's both trying to distance himself from it and also like clearly like falling for her. You know, like that's the thing that's happening in the dream is he's like dreaming of himself kissing Laura Palmer and yeah. being like infatuated of her, you know. And oh, Laura 1944. Yeah. <laughs> um, that movie rips. That movie does rip. Um, we solicited questions and we definitely got one, but I don't have my phone on me. Oh, there it is. Yes, you do. Do we have other um, stuff to talk about? Uh, I mean, we can rate the stairs. We get the stairs again. We get the stairs. During the weird dream sequence. Yeah, we do. S for stairs. S for stairs. The stairs somehow got creepier between episodes. Um, Just one one question this week from Emrys. I have not read this. I'm just going to read this on air. Um... While fleeing across North America, the white base stops to resupply and rest at the small town of Twin Peaks. Who gets along surprisingly well with who, and who despises each other? If Char goes undercover in the town, who does he team up with? Um, so, Bright's a bookhouse boy by the end of the day. For sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we haven't met the bookhouse boys yet in this no? show. I mean, they've been brought oh, up. Oh, they have been brought up. They brought big, up in episode Because James is like, I need the bookhouse boys on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, James and Amaro. I was going to say Dale and Amaro. That too. Those yeah, two, probably. Those, those two are moron cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who have their charms. Um, so Char is going undercover. If Char's going undercover... Albert, so far. Yeah, I think Char and Albert would get along. Yeah. I think Char and Albert both would be like, this sucks. I hate the town of Twin Peaks. Yeah, and everyone everyone hates them, but also... uh, Well, Char's not a pacifist, but I think there's still some commonality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, They could have have debates. Char would be that guy from... uh, Funeral Parade of Roses. That's like in embodying fascism or in embodying passive uh, pacifism. I have to like fight now to stop future fights. I have to like overthrow the yeah. Congratulations on figuring out the plot of Shars Counterattack without having seen it. <laughs> um. I've watched movies from Japan in the seventies. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> um. You know what? I think Char would meet Leo Johnson and pop him in the head without thinking about it. <laughs> I think I think Char like headshot. I think I think Char would not put up with Leo Johnson's bullshit for two minutes. Bad vibes. Yeah. Kai would just move into the town. Yeah, Kai's like fuck this. I'm out of here. Yeah, Kai Sheedan would just yeah. move. Yeah, yeah. Become a reporter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> reporting on the, the dark underworld of small town Twin Peaks. <laughs> um, you never know when you're going to meet the Pope. You never know. <laughs> um, I think Fraubo and Lucy get along. Totally. Sure. Totally. Fraubo and Lucy really bonding as just the women who make this town run and are to- never appreciated. Yeah. <laughs> so similar with um um Misa and um Norma. Yeah. I think that answers the question. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Molly. Yeah. Where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at your friend Molly the White ER. You can find me at audioentropy.com, uh, I need mayo.com, uh, club. I don't want to play test. I do a lot of stuff. You do. I do. Too much. Not too much. Uh, I've, I've struck a balance at this point. <laughs> uh, same tag on co host, I guess. We're doing that. Are we doing that now? Are people plugging that now? I've been people doing People are plugging that, that now. I've mm. been doing that. I'm on there. Nia, where can people find you? You can find me at Nia on Twitter and co-host and also Letterboxd, which I'm trying to remember to plug more on this podcast specifically. Because mm-hmm. um, this not is the about other that. Ones, yeah, this is the movie <laughs> one. I figure if you're listening to this one, you care about my movie stuff. Um, what? I, oh, so I have three other podcasts now. There's, you do? Yeah, there's uh, Ghost Divers. It's an anime podcast. We watch... Uh, old anime, but we haven't watched the original Mobile Suit Gundam yet. Um, we might, though. Connor wanted to do it, and I was like, eh, GGP exists, but I feel like we could say shit on that. that mm-hmm. It's been they long enough. Yeah. yeah, they didn't know. Yeah. Listening to that is, is truly just like watching them figure out how to be critics about Gundam. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and... We're currently doing Paranoia Agent, so if you enjoyed our Kone Satoshi stuff, check that out. Uh, and coming up next is Kino's Journey with uh, Kim. The most normal guest in the world. Yeah, very normal. Uh, some might say even more normal than Connor, which is a triumph. <laughs> um, my other podcast that I do with Connor, my co-host of uh, Ghost Divers, is Pondering Puton, which is a comedy podcast. I always feel weird about how to sell this because I'm like, I think it's funny, but also I'm doing it. But like other people think it's funny. I was on it and was not funny. I think I just showed up and just ranted for 30 minutes and then that's Pouton though. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a funny episode. And then the, the other one, which is not on this network, it's on abnormal mapping uh, is around the long fire where Em and I are reading through sagas uh, currently we're doing Volsunga Saga, which is a, uh, legendary saga. So we've got like the, the first ones out currently, uh, where we read through the first 12 chapters and there's like buff babies, uh, <laughs> kneading snakes into, into bread. Uh, we got like, uh, incest. We got a lot of murder. I thought you were going to um, say a lot of incest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've got like, we've got like symbolic incest or then literal incest Mm. so you know you know um we got a lot of kings uh we got a sore a mythic sore that has already been shattered and we have been told will be reforged into a stronger sword i love that yeah uh so it's a it's rip roaring good time um 
we we are right at the point where the actual hero of the story is about to be born. So hmm. oh, good. Uh, next next episode will be a lot of his deeds. Um, spoilers: that motherfucker kills a dragon. Sick. <laughs> I love that for him. Um. Yeah, and if you go to admiralmapping.com slash longfire, you'll find it. What about you? You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on letterboxd at autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at autumnal. You can go to exportodd.io. That'll take you to the Patreon page for this podcast, or for this podcast network, I should say. On the main page for the Patreon, we've got links to all the free feeds that you can send to your friends. Tell them all about how much you love ornate stairwells. Um, or what other other podcasts you love. You love all our podcasts. Um, you can also give a dollar a month and get early access to this show. You can get Gotham City Limits early. You can get, um... Putan? Putan and Hot Singles. That's the other one. Um, and then for $5 a month, you get Pop Town Funk. And soon, hopefully in November, possibly in December, you will start getting, um coffee and comic books um five dollar patrons will get two episodes of that a month free feed will only get one episode of that a month um and that is pretty similar to this podcast but a lot shorter um uh my co-host rick and i are just doing like a comics book club and it's been very good so far excited to start putting that out uh just getting a couple little dominoes in place and then we'll be good to go with that soon so look forward to that um, that about does it, I guess. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. I've heard that. Oh, Okokoro is real. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to step on the bit. <laughs>
Goose is dead, the bats have left the bell tower The victims have been bled, red velvet lines The black box, the little goose is dead
She was beaten to death by three different people that day, by Richard Beamer, who played Ben Horn, by me, and by Frank Silver, who played Bob. Because David didn't want anybody to know who the killer was, not even the crew. So this poor girl, 15, you know, 16 hours of getting beaten to death by three different guys. How was that for you that day? You, you, do, you, do you want to finish your brown room story with the one? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so anyway, uh, I get called into uh, uh, this room. David wants to talk to me. I get called into this room, and I see in this room, Cheryl Lee sitting there with Mark Frost, Richard Beamer, who played Ben Horn, David Lynch. They're all sitting cross-legged on the floor in this dark room. Because there's no furniture. De devoid of furniture. <laughs> Except for this uh, waterfall clock lamp. A waterfall clock, kind of a lava lamp, kind of a thingy in the corner. And so I got down cross legged like everybody else. And, 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 and David leaned over, he put his hand on my knee, and he said, Ray, it's you, it was always you. be me. And uh, then he proceeded to tell me what a, it's going to be a beautiful thing, Ray. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be lying there in Cooper's arms and he's going to recite the Tibetan, Tibetan Book of the Dead and I was going to look down a long tunnel and a bright light and in that light would be my daughter, Laura, and she would be reaching her hands out to me, forgiving me. And I felt, I felt relieved. I felt a great weight had been taken off my chest because I, I, I didn't want to be the killer. But he made it somehow palatable for me. 
and I was able to do that last show I, because I actually, you know, some nights I, I considered even quitting because it bothered me so much. I had a two-year-old daughter of my own and the idea of being the murderer of my own daughter did not sit well with me. It was anathema to me. I, I felt like I can't, no, I can't do this. I can do a lot of things, but I can't do this. Well, he explained it to me in a way that uh, made it possible for me to do it. And I did, and that was the end of Leland. <laughs>